Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today I am super excited to share a conversation I had with Todd Henry, host of the Accidental Creative Podcast and author of four books, including his most recent, The Motivation Code. Todd is a sought after speaker, consultant, and advisor to organizations seeking to enhance their collective creative capability. He teaches people and teams how to be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. And he does it with a blend of humor and practicality. I'm sure you're going to love. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Todd. Let's go. Todd Henry, host of the Accidental Creative Podcast. I am so delighted to have you join me on Modern Mentor today. Rachel, it's so good to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Todd, I wanted to talk to you because I will just say there are a ton of experts out there on creativity, but in my experience, I feel like so much of the conversation is focused on the artists and the inventors and the entrepreneurs. And I love that you focus on what I would describe as the really practical side of creativity. And you frame it as something that I think is really accessible to all of us. And so as we continue to kind of wade through this epidemic of burnout at work, I I think creativity is one of the biggest levers that we can be pulling even inside of corporate workspaces. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I 100% agree with you. And I, you know, I think sometimes we tend to look at moments like this, what's happening in, in culture, what's happening in the marketplace right now, what's happening inside the big organizations right now, frankly. And we tend to think, oh, well, these are creativity inhibitors because we have more limitations, we have more boundaries. But the reality is sometimes those limitations and boundaries or those changes in expectations and environment can be creativity accelerators. Um, The great filmmaker Orson Welles said, the absence of limitation is the enemy of art. And I think that we're at a place right now in the marketplace where some of the very limitations that we're bumping up against because of what we've been experiencing with the global pandemic and uh, some of the other dynamics, I I think is going to lead to a wave of creativity and innovation that we have heretofore never seen. Oh, absolutely. I had not heard that quote. I love it. I will borrow it. And I'm curious, I know that you do a lot of work within organizations and we are nearly two years into this pandemic. And so I'm curious, have you seen any of that come to light? Is there any, do you have any interesting stories to share about ways that you've seen teams or leaders get really kind of scrappy? 
Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, I think, you know, when, when this first happened, I think everybody was sort of in reactive mode, you know, oh, we have to figure out how to meet virtually for the three weeks that we're going to be shut down or whatever we were all thinking right <laughs> at the beginning. So I think there is this kind of, you know, reactive, um, let's just figure it out. We'll just jump in and make it happen um, mindset. And what I've discovered is that many teams have become very savvy about how they meet. They've become very savvy about how they interact with one another in terms of expectations. You know, strangely, the work is getting done, which I think that was always one of the great remote working fears is that the work would not get done. Um, and we could talk about some of the downsides uh, in a bit because there are many downsides. But but what I'm yeah. finding is that organizations are adapting around the needs and the expectations of the people working in the organization rather than expecting the people in the organization to bend around some arbitrary organizational need. Like you have to be in your seat between 8.30 and 5 p.m. every day. Well, that was only an expectation because we needed people to be around when the office was open because after hours, you know, people are, you know, offices closed, people are cleaning, like, you know, that's not, you know, nobody's around. But now we're realizing, wow, you know, there is work that can be done in an asynchronous way and it still gets done in a timely way. It still gets done when it's needed and we can still collaborate when we need to collaborate. But as long as the work is getting done, it really doesn't matter if it happens between 8.30 and 5 p.m. unless it's timely work. And many, you know, I'm seeing many organizations adapting around that. And I think one of the reasons you mentioned burnout early, one of the reasons we experienced so much burnout, I don't know about you, but I was fried for a while, you know, in the midst of all of this, part of it was obviously the weight of the psychological weight of what we were experiencing, which none of us had ever experienced before, unless we're a hundred something years old. <laughs> the psychological weight of that was leading to the burnout. But the part of it too, was we were trying to fit old work expectations and methods into new containers. And I don't think we can do that, you know? And so you had things like people meeting from eight to five on Zoom solid all day long. And then after 5 p.m., because they're still in their workspace, because they don't leave their workspace, because their workspace is their home, they would work, you know, do all of their work between 6 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. and then get up and do it all over again the next day. And this went on for a while thinking, oh, well, this is just going to be a, a a short period. And then it became, you know, two months and then it became six months and then it became a year. And now we're going on two years. And so somewhere in the midst of that, I think, um, we started realizing we have to learn to live with this. We can't just try to wedge what the way we've been doing things into new containers. It doesn't work that way anymore. So I think, you know, it's interesting. Everybody's talking about back to the office and what's that going to look like. I think we're sort of in this interesting place where some organizations are going to say, you know what, we're actually in a better situation now than we were when we were all in the office. Um, and of course, there are some organizations that are going to have to go back to work because we need that face-to-face -face time. We need to be able to, to be in the same room, breathe the same air, um, which has been something that's been dangerous for the last year and a half. <laughs> Um, but we need to be able to do that for certain kinds of work. But I think there are many kinds of work. And, and also just you think about the talent now that's available to organizations that was unavailable before because they weren't in your geographic market. You know, So I think there are all kinds of advantages that companies are discovering um, that could lead to a, a brand new way of thinking about work moving forward. 
If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. You look good. But how do you feel? How about the stomach issues? Loss of muscle mass? Lacking energy? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? The answer is GNC. We have solutions that can help address those side effects and make sure you don't get knocked off your path. Because when it comes to living healthy, we're all about it. And that includes keeping you going on your GLP-1 journey. GNC. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Yeah, I love everything that you just said. And I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but what I hear you describing is almost a state in which we're shifting the conversation about creativity from kind of the, the products, deliverables, and outputs and focusing instead on the creativity of how we're getting the work done and how we're coming together and how we're collaborating and how we're redefining and reinventing you know, what is a workspace and what does a dialogue look like in this hybrid environment? Is that kind of a fair representation of where your mind is? Absolutely. I think that's that's a perfectly fair way to describe it. You know, it's been a while since we've really innovated how we work. You know, I mean, we've innovated with the tools that we use and, you know, we've, we've gotten much faster because of technology, but this is really the first major disruption of the very nature of how we work in probably what, 30, 40 years, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe even more than that. So I, you know, I, I think some of the stress and burnout, um, as we talked about it, some of it is, you know, we're learning some people are not great at working on their own in a space by themselves all day. You know, they need other people. Um, they're wired for that, which is certainly one of the downsides. And I think some of it is we're learning, you know, <laughs> it's the old, very tired, worn out analogy of we're trying to ride the bicycle while we're building it. And I think that not only are we accountable for the work that we're doing, but we're also trying to figure out how we're going to get that work done at the same time. And so we're getting better at that for sure. Um, and there are specific conversations we have to have as teams to make us more effective um, at, at managing those dynamics. But it's it's exciting to see that on the other side of this, you know, we're not going back to normal and we're going to have this entire open-ended possibility, um, you know, this, this entire spectrum of possibilities that we didn't have going into this pandemic. And the other thing really quickly, sorry, I know I'm, I'm talking yeah. a lot about this because it's not like the core topic I think we want to talk <laughs> about, but um, the other thing that's really interesting to me and exciting is, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this past year and a half, two years. Um, can you imagine if this had happened 10 years ago, our entire world would have shut down because we simply did not have the tools and the technology to 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 make things work and now for for a big portion of the world you know the world did shut down but 
you know, you think about large organizations, you think about, you know, how many of us were able to still do our job remotely because we had these technology tools that seemed like a nice add-on before, but then suddenly became essential. It's actually incredible that this happened when it did and that we were able to weather it the way that we were because of the tools we had at our disposal during this this one unique moment in time. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I think that there are probably organizational leaders out there who see that as something of both a blessing and a curse. And so what I mean by that is you're right. We've absolutely been able to get the work done and so much so that there are a lot of people out there advocating for why do I ever need to return to an office? And then you do have leaders and organizations that feel like, no, no, we still need some version of returning to work. But that gets a little bit harder to justify because mm-hmm. we haven't necessarily suffered from you know results or productivity falling. And so I'm curious, because you alluded to this, and, and I think you're exactly right. There are pros and cons to kind of working in this hybrid or virtual way, but also to being physically together and and heaven forbid sharing air again, how do you think about and how do you counsel organizations that you're working with on kind of setting those guardrails and parameters for for making decisions about who who should be in an office when and for what purpose? This is a great question. It's it's so specific to each organization and the nature of the organization's work. You know, there are some people who are just, listen, the the nature of your job is you need to be at the office doing work. And, and there, there are certain people who certain types of jobs where, you know, I mean, you could, I work with an organization recently where the, the chief technology officer lived in another state from where the company was based. Right. And this is a Mm -hmm. a good sized organization and they were able to make it work because they had the tools available to make it work. And they had people all over the country, even at that level living in different places. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen on a leadership level. We need to make sure that we're not making decisions by default, that we're designing the way that we're going to work moving forward. And I think the reality is it's going to be some sort of hybrid model. It's not going to be 100% we're back in the office, everything's going back to normal, and it's not going to be we're 100% virtual. It's probably going to be some combination of that that mix is going to be different for each organization. So what are the mission critical things that have to get done? And how many of those mission critical things require us to be physically in person in order to be able to accomplish them? I know, you know, some, some creative agencies that I work with specifically are wrestling with the dynamic of trying to generate ideas and collaborate virtually. It's just not the same thing as sitting in a room and being around a whiteboard and sketching thing out, things out together and, and, and discussing ideas and, and um, concepts in that setting. And so, again, I, I think it just depends on the nature of the work and the organization. But the most important principle is you can't afford to be reactive right now. You have to design. You can't just operate by default. Okay, it's over. Let's go back to the office. Well, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. You know, don't, don't just have that default reaction. Yeah, I think that that is sage advice and it is going to be very particular to the organization and their needs. And you're talking a little bit about the idea of designing, right? And and I think that that brings me back into the mindset of creativity at a more individual level. And I, I want to focus on, especially for people who are, maybe they're corporate, maybe they work in sales or marketing or operations, and they don't necessarily fancy themselves a creative, or they don't think that it is within their job description to be creative. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how do you define creativity in a way that's sort of 
almost democratizes it. And, and what are some of your favorite tactics or techniques that you've seen people utilize, especially throughout the course of the pandemic to bump up their own creativity? Yeah. So creativity at the heart of it is problem solving. If you're hmm. designing, then you're solving a problem by designing something, right? You maybe you're designing a, a you know a logo or a you know a system. Even um, you're designing a system, or you're designing a building, or you're designing something. So that's that's certainly a creative act. But maybe you have to manage a team of people, and you have to develop systems and solve problems every day. That is also a creative act. Uh, maybe you're an engineer. That is certainly a creative act. I think sometimes we tend to conflate creativity and art. We think that yeah. because I am not artistic, I'm not creative. And that's not true. It's simply not true. Creativity is problem solving at the heart of it. So if you have to go to work, you have to solve problems under pressure every day. Congratulations, you are a creative professional. Um, <laughs> but that also means you're privy to all of the same dynamics and pressures and stresses that all of the, what we think of as the traditional creative professionals experience. Um so what we have to do, and this is what I've spent most of my career teaching people, uh, at least this part of my career teaching people is if you want to be brilliant at a moment's notice, which of course we all want to do, you have to begin far upstream from the moment you need a brilliant idea. You have to build practices into your life to prepare you for those moments when you need that aha moment. Creativity, as Steve Jobs once put it, is simply connecting things. And that's largely true. That's a great and very simple, what else would you expect, right? From Steve Jobs, it's a very simple and elegant way of describing what creativity is. You see one thing, you see another thing, you see a connection between them, click, they go together. Suddenly you have a solution that heretofore was unseen because nobody thought to connect those two things. Um, well, in order to do that, you have to play with ideas. You have to play with concepts. You have to have dots in your head to connect, which means you have to be preparing for those moments by filling your mind with valuable stimuli. Uh, do you dedicate time on your calendar to study, to absorbing stimuli, absorbing, inspiring uh things that other people have created or made or other solutions people have come up with or simply reading. I have a friend who's a creative director who um, was the creative director for a huge, I won't mention names because I would get in trouble, but like some of the biggest <laughs> world tours, right? Biggest world musical tours. He was a creative director for, for some of these people um, and made videos that everybody listening has seen at some point in their life. And he told me that where he goes, he reads fiction for inspiration. That's where he goes. Mm -hmm. That's the well he goes to because that's what sparks new insights for him. You know, and people are like, you don't watch video, you don't watch film, you don't watch production. He's like, no, I, I, I read, I read fiction and that's what gives me my ideas. That's where I find inspiration. You, we each have to figure that out for ourselves. Where do we find inspiration? Another thing that we, we need to do pretty consistently is define the problems we're trying to solve. You know, people who are, brilliant at a moment's notice, understand clearly the problem we're trying to solve. Is creative, if creativity is problem solving, that means we have to define the problems effectively or else we're not going to be able to make progress on them. So do you understand the outcome, the problem you're actually trying to solve? Or are you trying to do a project? You see, our minds aren't wired to do projects. Our minds are wired to solve problems. And that means we have to be really good at defining the edges of our work, understanding what it is we're really trying to do. So when you're stuck, and I've been stuck many times in the last year and a half, what I've discovered is one of the very first 
things that can be most effective is to step back and ask yourself, okay, am I still solving the same problem? Because we can get into a rut when we're working on something and we're learning things and we're adapting, we're pivoting, we're changing, and we're still trying to solve the problem we were trying to solve two weeks ago, but things have changed and we're actually solving a different problem right now than we were two weeks ago because we've learned some things, we've adapted, we've pivoted. And so it can be helpful just to step back and redefine the problem. So that's another thing. I'll I'll just give you one more very quick thing. And that's, we have to be really good at managing our energy. And this is important right now, especially. We have to practice pruning in our life. You know, in in a vineyard, one of the primary roles of a vine keeper is to routinely prune areas of growth off the vine. Perfectly good fruit that's growing on the vine. Why would you prune perfectly good fruit off of a growing (laughs) vine? Isn't that the goal of the vine? Well, yeah, but a good vine keeper knows that if, that fruit isn't routinely pruned, or if the vine isn't routinely pruned, over time, it will steal resources from the older, more mature fruit-bearing parts of the vine. And the entire vine will succumb to systemic mediocrity. It can bear a lot of mediocre fruit or a little bit of good fruit because there aren't enough resources to go around. And you and I are the same way, Rachel. We can bear a certain amount of really good fruit, or we can bear a whole lot of mediocre fruit. And what we discovered during the pandemic is we were trying to cram every hour of our day as full of activity as possible. I don't know about you, but I was on a Zoom call from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to 1, 1 to 2, you know, and maybe maybe run away to grab lunch in between. That was a lot of people's existence. Why? Because there's no friction anymore to schedule a meeting. It's just you click a button and you're there, you know, so we could just stack ourselves full of meetings. The problem is, We're not managing our energy. We're not managing our ability to bring emotional labor to our work. So we get to the end of the day and we are just completely fried because we've had no ebb, no flow, no uh, space, no buffer. It's just been meeting after meeting after meeting. We get to the end of the day and then we have to actually do our work because we've been sitting in meetings all day, right? And we've got nothing left to give. So we have to be really good at pruning. We have to be really good at saying no and carving out space for ourselves to allow brilliant ideas to emerge because innovation happens in the white space. It often happens in the gaps between all of our frantic activity. So those are just a couple of things. Make sure you're building stimulus into your life. Make sure you're defining problems effectively and make sure that you're pruning, you're managing your energy so that you have a little bit of buffer for great ideas to emerge in the midst of your activity. Yeah. I think that's a really nice summary of things. And I think you know, what, what I'm hearing is that there's kind of a call to action in there. These are all things that we can do and we know how to do, but I think we in the working world have a tendency to think of those as versions of laziness, right? Oh, I don't Mm. read fiction. That's no, I'm not learning anything. (laughs) I don't know. Rest is for the week. And, but what I hear you saying is no, 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 these are active things we need to do to refuel the creativity tank so that it can happen. And so there's what I hear is that there's a really powerful need for a mindset shift to start to happen in everybody's brain. We need to give ourselves not just permission to do these things, but really hold ourselves accountable to doing them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a phenomenal book by a guy named Gordon McKenzie. Um, he was a former creative director at Hallmark. And in the book, he offers a sort of a, a mental scenario picture and mental image. He said, imagine a farmer walking up to a field where some cows are grazing out in the field and shaking his fist at the cows and saying, Hey, you lazy cows, stop grazing, get back to making milk. <laughs> right. 
And I love that image because it's so absurd. Of course, the, the cows are making milk by grazing. That's what they're doing. If you don't graze, you don't have milk on the other side of it. But that's how we often treat people in our organizations. Hey, you lazy people, you know, get back to work and stop reading fiction. You know, get back to work and right. stop sitting around trying to come up with ideas. You know, get back to work and whatever, fill in the blank. We want people. And, and some of that is, by the way, it's anxiety and insecurity on the part of managers mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're afraid of how it's going to reflect on them if it looks like their people aren't busy all the time. The reality is we're not paid to be busy. We're paid to create value. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Leave a comment or review in your podcatcher to let me know. For more great stuff from Todd, subscribe to the Accidental Creative Podcast or grab your copy of The Motivation Code. I hope you'll join me next week for another great episode. Until then, you can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor Podcast page on LinkedIn. Join me back here next week. Thanks again so much for listening and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller and our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable, but the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.